the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 88 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Meglia, and joining me today I have Will Mavity. Hello everybody. And Will, you and I have two guests on today's show. We have the returning Josh Parham, everybody. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much again for having me, Matt. No problemo. And also joining us for the first time ever, we have Danilo Castro, everybody. What's up, Danilo? How you doing? Nice to be here. Nice to be here. Excited to uh, talk about some movies. So, Josh, we know you from Film Twitter. Danilo, where where do you come from? Who are you? Tell us about you. Do we have that much time? Um, I am uh, I'm a move film writer critic aspiring um i uh i uh run a podcast with another person on here josh williams um and uh yeah that's kind of how i got in the fold here through josh uh, i write for screen rant um i write for a little white lies a couple other websites but uh that's mainly why i'm here well i've already talked to josh and will we can be rest assured josh is not trying to stage some sort of a coup all right by infiltrating us <laughs> with himself and danilo they they, they come in peace so we can rest easy knowing that we have uh, two really, really knowledgeable, great guests for today's show. Um, and I want to first start off, uh, gentlemen, by talking about uh, probably the biggest news of the week, uh, the biggest movie of the year. I highly doubt anything else is uh, that's going to come out later that's going to top it. Avengers Infinity War is looking like it's going to smash the opening weekend box office record. Early projections have it estimated at $250 million for its opening weekend, besting 2015's Star Wars The Force Awakens, which opened up to, I believe, $248 million that year. So I believe all of us have seen Avengers Infinity War. I might be wrong on that. I wanted to give everybody an opportunity to just talk about it, uh, their experience, and how do they feel about its box office success. Not to mention, too, uh, the fact that because this is a culmination movie of sorts, what does that mean for Marvel Studios moving forward, considering we're kind of coming to the end pretty soon with some of these actors' contracts? What are are they going to do moving forward once this chapter in this studio's history is concluded? I don't believe anything's ever final with the Marvel franchise. <laughs> um, I genuinely think as long as people are going, they will keep making them. Um, and I think it's telling that they signed Sebastian Stan on for like a nine movie contract a while ago, which means that even as some of these actors contracts are coming to an end, they're thinking way in the future. Inevitably their plan is, Whenever Chris Evans leaves and hangs up the Captain America cape, he doesn't have a cape, but metaphorical cape, uh, they're going to replace him with Bucky Barnes. You know, the Winter Soldier will become the new Captain America. Um, They're already thinking long term. So 
you know, this this is the culmination of a of a tier of Marvel. Um, I guess this is tier four. That's what people are calling it. Um, I, I I do feel like the marketing on this particular film was a little disingenuous. They said, no, this is no longer a part one. This is an independent film when it's clearly a part one. And it isn't the true culmination. I think some people were hoping. Um, you know, I, there's been some talk about misleading marketing of putting people in the same scene together in trailers who are not actually in the scene together. I think the, I think next year is going to be the big film that has some very definitive things happen. But it's... Marvel is not coming to an end anytime soon. I think we will say goodbye to the original three actors, Downey, Evans, and Hemsworth next time around. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of negative, I could say, about what Marvel has done for the industry. Um, The Avengers films are difficult to criticize in any sense that you could actually criticize a film. I mean, it feels like a TV finale. That, I was going to say, actually, I've seen a lot of reviews pan the movie because they say that, um, and, and this is a criticism I have too. I, I just don't think it's worth a negative review saying it like this. But to your point, Will, in terms of film criticism, this film doesn't kind of like set up the characters. You have to go in with the expectation that you know who these characters already are from the previous films. And in that regard, it does feel like we're watching um, over the last couple of years, like seasons of television, and we're seeing one continuous story unfold over the years. It, it's, it's a very weird kind of a feeling, but this was like the first time where I actually felt that watching the movie. Like, it, it does feel like a series of television. I was just going to say, to, to the television point, I do agree with that, and kind of my kind of tentativeness moving forward with them is that I feel like, you know, with each with each TV show, uh, you, they reach an apex and then there's always kind of a fall off. You know, it's like, oh, man, remember season five or something like that. I feel like we're coming up on their season five, so to speak, where they're going to continue on afterwards. But I don't know if we're going to reach the heights of this again, you know, uh, with Avengers three and four right here. So I don't, I don't know. It's I'm a little I'm a little I'm somewhat optimistic, but I'm also a little cautious going forward with the idea of strange two and black panther two and stuff like that parm uh (laughs) well you know i i've just never really been that big into the marvel movies honestly so and and i think the comment about it kind of behaving like television is very very accurate it's an observation i've had for a while and i think that you know going forward yeah there is going to be this feeling of can they reach the heights that they did before, I think at this point people are pretty trusting of the Marvel brand and they're still going to go for it. Uh, I don't really see that being a big issue for them, but I do think it'll be interesting to see when they have to sort of declare themselves in sort of this new era of their movies. If, uh, you know, just sort of the entertainment momentum will still keep going. I, I do wonder about that, but as it is, I think people have shown that they're really into this idea of this kind of episodic storytelling. And I think that's just going to continue uh, with these movies. Yeah, and a bunch of other movie studios are trying to recapture that idea of episodic tel- uh, episodic television, episodic storytelling <laughs> in the cinema. And they have all failed because they're not willing to play the long game 
like Marvel was with their individual standalone films and then patiently build towards um, these big, quote unquote, team up movies. You know, we saw it happen with DC. Um, and in terms of what the universal uh, monster movies, whatever they call it, the Dark Universe or something. Dark Universe. I mean, yeah. the mummy absolutely flat out sucked. So <laughs> that was not a good start. Yeah, I mean, what what's really interesting about uh, with the mummy, especially, is just that that was a movie that was just unbelievably so bad. And the worst thing is that it killed the most interesting things that could have been in the Dark Universe franchise. You know, I think Bill Condon's um, Bride of Frankenstein could have been really interesting, but the mummy was just so unbelievably bad. It's a shame that they couldn't really explore anything new and interesting that they could have had. I, I agree with you on that. And it's, it's one of those things where I, I actually, and, and I wrote about this on Twitter recently, I, I've done a 180 on the MCU. I, I definitely was one of those people that was very lukewarm on it for a while. And I think a large part of that had to do with, there was like a segment in their films where um, like Iron Man 2 and 3, Door of the Dark World, even the first Guardians film um, didn't really like do it for me. Captain America Civil War let me down with its ending. Age of Ultron was a disappointment. There was like this run of movies where I just was in this I don't care mode. And then something kind of started to happen over the last year. Like Chris Hemsworth finally came into his own with Thor Ragnarok, I felt like. And I still think he, other than Josh Brolin, is the best thing about Avengers Infinity War. Um, and probably has his best moment in the whole series to date in that movie that just sends shivers down my spine. Um they finally kind of hit this uh, peak in terms of like Tony and uh, uh, Steve Rogers uh, conflict in Civil War that I, I really thought was very interesting. You know, Black Panther was incredible. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I thought was an improvement upon the first one. I know some people don't agree with me on that. But for me personally, like the last year, I've really come around to recognizing the achievement that the MCU has, you know, got gathered uh, with this culmination with Avengers Infinity War and its lasting impact on the industry and how it is, you know, whether you love it or you hate it, you can't deny that it is history in cinema. And for someone who's like a student of the game and really appreciates, you know, when I can recognize like these moments um, you know, you, you have these moments where it's like Toy Story is the first animated, you know, fe- uh, CGI animated feature film. Avatar revolutionizes 3D in the cinema. You know, you, you kind of have these um, bookmark moments in history and you can kind of feel it while you're experiencing it. And I feel like we are experiencing that right now with this culmination of what Marvel has achieved over the last 10 years. And if you can't see that... Um, you know, then I, I do think you're being a little ignorant to what is actually going on here. Um, it's a very singular cinematic achievement. I'm not putting it on a pedestal along with stuff like, you know, The Godfather or anything like that. All I'm saying is that when the history books are written, we're living during a, a golden age right now in terms of blockbuster filmmaking. Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, you don't have to love every movie in the Marvel uh, franchise to just have so much respect for them for them as a business you know that is incredible the way that they've just revolutionized the way people anticipate movies the way that they go to the movies and you know I, like i said 
not the biggest Marvel fan, but I have nothing but respect for them as a business model. Matt, you think we're in the golden age of blockbusters right now? Because I would argue from um, a quality standpoint, we certainly have more blockbusters than ever now. But at the same time, you know, like I think the the willingness to play the long game and that achievement as a whole is absolutely impressive. But as far as individual quality goes, I would argue that we've entered an era more where blockbusters are less and less distinctive and you have things like most of the Marvel films leading up to this point where there are intentionally no stakes. You know what you're going to get. Tony Stark is the same character arc going through him. Um, you know, I, I think we're finally, I think I'm really going to like the next movie in the franchise because I think it's finally going to do some very final things. And that's what I've been waiting for for years with these guys. But I have to disagree when you say we're in the blockbuster age of movie filmmaking because the 90s, you know, when we got mainly mid-budget adult dramas and when we did get a blockbuster, it was like T2 or the 80s when it was uh, the Indiana Jones films or Die Hard, um, Aliens. They had a little more soul than your average Marvel movie is all I'll say. So I would disagree with that statement. And I respect that disagreement. I'm not going to argue against it. Um, this is just my own feeling, and I do think it is coming from a, a place of oversaturation. Uh, you're right that there is more blockbuster films being released on a yearly basis than ever before. I do, however, remain optimistic that it increases the chances that we are going to get a few great blockbusters a year as opposed to, in this time period that you're referencing, one a year. You know, I mean, think about it from this perspective. Last year, and just off the top of my head, uh, last year we had Logan and War for the Planet of the Apes come out, two blockbuster films that were very uh, daring in their storytelling and uh, definitely felt, you know, they were both culmination films, um, but that's two in one year. And and I'm sure there are, you know, obviously more than just that. Those are just off the top of my head. Um yeah, I, and I also think, too, we need time to separate ourselves um, as well. Like, you know, maybe maybe we could look back in 10, 20 years from now and have the same fondness that uh, that you're referencing right now with some of those other films. And maybe we won't. Um, but my hunch is that we will. That's all. Uh, let's ask uh, the first fan question here. And this one's a doozy. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see it or a chance to, pre- to prepare for it, but this one comes from uh, Toby Hill at SledCamera17 on Twitter. If you could assemble a six-person team of non-superpowered movie characters, who would your movie Avengers be? Now, to keep it very simple, um, instead of six, um, I'll give you guys four. So think of four characters that you would love to be in your Avengers, you know, squad, so to speak, of of, uh, movie characters. Um, I'll start us off, and my four would personally be Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, Jack Sparrow, okay, um, Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road, and let's also go with, who's got like a cool weapon? Oh, I'm going to go with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator. <laughs> if all four of those characters, and now here's the way I'm like imagining this. I'm thinking of that shot in the first Avengers film where the camera like kind of circles around them. I'm just imagining those four characters standing there, loading their weapons or sharpening their swords, getting ready for battle. And to me, that's like the most epic image. (laughs) 
<laughs> so what do you what do you all have? Uh, well, you know, when I first saw this question, um, immediately I knew that one of the characters that I would need to have is James Bond because I'm the. <laughs> I'm a huge Bond fan. I, I really am. What I'm imagining, instead of him, like, looting a gun, I'm imagining him, like, fixing his cufflinks. As the camera, like, <laughs> Drinking a martini around. or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but what it also got me thinking about is that I do love James Bond, but what I love more is actually the James Bond villains. And, mm. and you know, there, there was actually, from a long time ago, there was a Bond video game it was called GoldenEye. It was a different GoldenEye. That was basically this fantasy of mashing together all these different Bond villains. So you had like Dr. No and Goldfinger and like the man with the golden gun. And, you know, for me, I mean, the game wasn't very good. But for me, it was like just this dream come true at the time. So probably for me, my Avenger style would be like a spinoff Bond film where just all of my favorite villains are just coming together to try to kill Bond. Mm. Nice. Very nice. I like that. That's that's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Danilo? Uh, well, we talked about '80s action movies, and that is kind of the direction I took it in. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna assemble. I'm gonna do what the the um, the Expendables could have been in the '80s, roughly. Uh. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Snake Plissken. I'm gonna take John McClane. I'm gonna take oh, what's his name from Schwarzenegger from Commando. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, that's Schwarzenegger. Let off some steam. Yeah, uh, John Matrix. There we go. And then I'm gonna round it out with Ellen Ripley. I, I I think that would be a cool New York shot as well. There's a lot of a lot of firepower in that. You know, I was just thinking about it because I was thinking about like really badass women in film, and um, I need a hero shot of the bride in that yellow jumpsuit with the sword from Kill Bill. Oh I, I, yeah, I need, I need that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you will yeah i was thinking everyone's thinking all modern characters but it'd be kind of cool to have some people in like a game of thrones-esque setting so what if you took like the great um heroes of movies where they're using swords oh so yeah Max so was I, a bride, I, so, right <laughs> so i'm thinking maximus i'm thinking william wallace <laughs> oh my um, god wow <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm thinking we'll throw aragorn in there for good measure lord of the rings um who else do we want to put in here who's who's good with the, i mean who would be good in like a game of thrones setting with um, a sword this spartacus you could do, you could do conan oh spartacus yeah yeah spartacus we could put in there um Zor- why don't we throw zorro in there just for good measure <laughs> <laughs> Antonio <Vendaris>. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. fits in he fits in there or or you could do the anthony hopkins version <laughs> <laughs> I want the it always kind of made me laugh. Oh no no no! Will will will! It just came to me. It just came to me. King Leonidas, three hundred. Oh yes, yeah. yes. And and then the shitty Colin Farrell, Alexander the Great. <laughs> oh my Wasn't god! He older than Angelina Jolie when she played his mom in that. So now, what I think we I think what we need to do because there's four of us here and we have our four team ups. I think I'm going to put this up to a poll, <laughs> and I'll, <laughs> I'm going to put this on film Twitter. Uh, I, I, when we're done here, just tell me your uh, group again, and I'm going to definitely put this up and I'll ask everyone who, whose group would win in a fight because this is pretty fucking. <laughs> well, that's not fair. You guys all have. You know, like super weapons. I just have the raw power of masculinity and sweat. 
Like, hey man, that's enough. That's enough sometimes. <laughs> like, but, like Gerard Butler just he's just like rip his loincloth. He's like, I got I need right here. They're like, you know, it's Gerard Butler's gonna kick people down some pits. Okay, he is. He just needs a he just needs a huge pit, and then it's game over. Hey everyone, I'm Aaron, and I'm Patrick, and together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. All right. Let's move on uh, from here. Uh, let's uh, move on to another uh, part of today's show. Let's talk about the polls, everybody. God, I love these polls. Uh, let's talk about last week's poll first. Uh, it was tying in with the Avengers. The question was, which Marvel Cinematic Universe film is your favorite? We listed all of them from 2008's Iron Man up until Black Panther. We did not include Avengers Infinity War in the list because quite frankly it hadn't come out yet and a lot of people hadn't had a chance to see it so looking over all of the films that are listed here um i'm gonna go around the horn here i'm gonna start off with danilo danilo what do you think our fans voted as the best marvel cinematic film and what is your favorite Ooh, okay um, I feel like the general consensus, like the the right answer, if there is a right answer, is going to be the Winter Soldier. That's going to be my guess for what they voted. Uh, my personal favorite is the first Avengers. Now, I'm still sitting on where Infinity War kind of places. Right now, it's still the first Avengers. Yeah, for me, Infinity War is now my personally my favorite MCU film at this point. Um, all right, Will, what do you think? Um, I, though I disagree with this pick, I think we're going to see Civil War as the top Ooh, that choice. is a popular one. Yeah. Um, my favorite Marvel film still remains the first Iron Man. Okay. Nice. And Josh Parham, what do you think? Um, I think, I think it, the winner is probably going to be the first Avengers movie. Although I would not be shocked if Black Panther did it. Uh, just because it is the most recent one that came out and it's so popular right now. Um, for me, I agree with Will. The first Iron Man is probably my favorite of the series because it's sort of before they knew what they had and it's sort of like pure and special right in the beginning. But I have to admit that I also really did like Black Panther to my kind of uh, <laughs> amazement. I actually uh, walked out that movie really loving it. So uh, I wouldn't be terribly upset if that ended up winning either. Yeah, it's probably my second favorite. It's pretty good. All right. Well, the top vote getters for last week's poll. I'll start off with. Uh, let's start off with what came in. How about yeah? Let's start off with came in came in fifth place. So, three. I'm counting here. Sorry, uh, this is the first time I've seen these results. So one, two, three. Four and okay, number five. In fifth place with 14 votes, we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. In fourth place, we have Thor Ragnarok. In third place, with a tie, 
we have Guardians of the Galaxy and the first Avengers film. And in second place, we have Captain America Civil War. And leading the poll with 39 votes, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Nice. Okay. So Winter Soldier, Civil War, tied for third place with the first Guardians of the Galaxy film and the Avengers Thor Ragnarok in fourth place and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in fifth place. Those are the vote-getters for last week's poll. Uh, Danila, you were right. Winter Soldier, I think, is the general consensus amongst most people. Um, and it was my favorite until Infinity War, actually, as well. It's def- Yeah, it definitely holds up. It'd be funny if it was like Iron Man 2 at the top of the... Like the number one winner or something. <laughs> Which uh, reminds me, uh, the films that got zero votes. Uh, Uh-oh. Yeah. Doctor Strange, Iron Man 2, and the first Thor film. Somebody actually gave a vote towards Thor the Dark World. Oh, God. Yeah. What are they doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe they clicked something. Maybe they were trying to click a different movie and they, they messed up or something. Poor Doctor Strange. Does anyone, Very confused. Does anyone... Uh, chuckle a little bit you know like most of the time benedict's american accent works but like he sometimes slips into like the alan rickman and die hard yeah yeah god no you're one of them yeah yeah i have to say i liked it a lot more in infinity war um and and on the flip side of that scarlett johansson does not even attempt anymore (laughs) to do whatever accent she was initially trying to do well, actually, neither her nor Elizabeth Olsen. They both did. Oh, yeah, Scarlet Witch. I, I just think Elizabeth Olsen never was able to nail it, period, and probably just said, fuck it. Yeah, that's she my gradually guess. gradually has given up, yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and you know what, Will? I have to admit, Mark Ruffalo always has, like, a, a very interesting trait that he brings to, like, his performances and all of his movies and whatever he's doing with Bruce Banner in Infinity War, I, I don't. It's like this exasperation in every line of dialogue that he has. Thanos is coming! Like it's just like it's very weird to think they knew and <laughs> they, they let, let it happen. Happen! <laughs> like he's exhaling or something. Yeah, like every single line. That's yeah. what he does, Tony. He goes to planets. And he kills half of them. <laughs> He's just doing push-ups in between takes just to get that feel. <laughs> oh, God. He is. He's doing his uh, – He's oh, God. What's the character in Spotlight? Um, oh. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, he's, but he's doing Mike that. Resendez. He's doing his Mike yeah. Marty Resendez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly what he's doing i hadn't because there was something that felt off about his performance this time around i think that's exactly what it is yeah I <laughs> spotlight it's time <laughs> the whole his whole performance is that scene in spotlight where he's yelling yeah. it's, it's just stretched out <laughs> all right so now moving on to this week's poll we're moving on from the mcu uh we're moving over now to jason reitman who has tully releasing uh this week Starring Charlize Theron. Um, And this week's poll is a much shorter uh, sample. We are asking everyone which is their favorite Jason Reitman directed film. So from Thank You for Smoking. um, All the way up until Tully actually. So. Because you know people have had a chance to see Tully so far. So I figured why not. Uh, So asking everybody uh, here right now. What's your favorite Jason Reitman film? Up in the air. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. You know, Whoa, he threw the M word out there. 
I, really? I, I think Up in the Air is fantastic. I haven't seen it in years, so maybe, uh, maybe if I revisit it, I won't be as impressed. But go like eight years back, I, it blew me away. Um, it's so well, I loved the editing. I loved his direction in it. He was working with the razor sharp screenplay. Um, it was so relevant at the time. Um, and you know, anyone who's ever had to do a lot of travel obviously finds it incredibly relatable as well. It's one of Clooney's better performances. It's, I mean, it's just a wealth of great actors and supporting roles. No, I, I, I adore up in the air. Uh, would you put put that over Hurt Locker that year? Uh, so it's funny. Like, I don't think 2009 overall is that great a year for film. But the best films of 2009 are, you know, are just fantastic. So there's a couple films that you... The Hurt Locker... Actually, Glorious Bastards was my favorite film that year. And then The Hurt Locker. Um, and Up in the Air is in third. But there are, you know, just like five or six films that year that just are some of my favorites of the 21st century with things like that and 500 Days of Summer as well. So, no, I mean, it's not about The Hurt Locker. I'm glad The Hurt Locker won, and I think she also obviously deserved director. But great, great film. All righty. Danilo, favorite Reitman film? I actually do. I do like Thank You for Smoking. That's a good one. But... I am gonna I'm gonna take the obvious route here. I do I'll probably Juno. Juno's really good. I mean, uh, as much as I like thank you for smoking and I do like up in the air. Uh, Juno's the one I've probably seen the most times and it still holds up for me. So I'm gonna give it points for that. I think it's still really funny and I think it's still like, you know. Yeah, I like his direction in Juno. That screenplay though, when I watch it today, mm-hmm. is more it it just seems like it's like just calling way too much attention to itself and it, like and just some of the lines of dialogue i'm like nobody talks like that oh absolutely not yeah there's a lot of stuff where you're like that's nobody's ever said that ever before like if i could go back in history and who knows maybe this will be a segment on oscar so right uh one time um i would personally have given the oscar to michael clayton that year as far as just tight 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 screenplays go mm-hmm. um it was a moment though yeah juno was a moment for people yeah i understand why why diablo cody won though i mean yeah yeah it makes sense uh just like this is one edge of skit that can't be undid home skillet like what the fuck <laughs> like what is that's that it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's almost surreal it's just like you have to just accept it as like this is not our world because people don't talk like that yeah all right <laughs> josh uh I think I'd have to go with Up in the Air. To me, Up in the Air is the definition, at least for me, of what peak Jason Reitman is. Uh, I don't think he's made a movie that has really come close to that since he made that film. Uh, Having said that, though, it's been a while since I've seen Up in the Air, so if I revisit it, I might not like it as much as I did. But in terms of, you know, balancing a good screenplay with, solid direction and getting some really great performances out of uh, his his um, cast, I think that's the one that overall is just works so well. Uh, although Juno is really good too. And I know Juno does suffer a bit from its screenplay, but I honestly think that most of the things we remember about it being like that terrible dialogue, I think that's in the beginning of the movie. I think 
once it kind of gets through the first like 20 30 minutes it kind of calms down a little bit and you do I get think you some just really... get used to it yeah yeah, it's yeah possible. to to a certain point but then you also get these really great characters that just really shine in the last half of the movie too which kind of makes up for it as well just I was just thinking about this in terms of uh, George Clooney and Up in the Air for a moment. Of his three lead actor uh, nominated performances, Michael Clayton, Up in the Air, and The Descendants, uh, which one do you guys prefer performance-wise? Um, I, I, for me speaking, I prefer The the Descendants. I think that's I, – I like uh, the vulnerability he kind of displays there. I think it's kind of a nice uh, antidote to the, the George Clooney that everyone kind of assumes that we're going to get, you know, the Ocean's Eleven Clooney. Um and I mean, I think he's me personally. I think he's he's somewhat of a limited actor, so that impressed me going in. I was I didn't expect that from him, and I was I for me he's yet to top that. So I'm going to go Descendants, while the other two are great. Well, I think the Descendants too. He made himself, you know, he made himself look old and very unclooney like. I think that's definitely his, you know, his his goodbye scene in that with his wife is really. Whew. Yeah, that's yeah. a tough one, Josh. You know, I think I'm going to say Michael Clayton. Uh, Michael Clayton is a movie that just reminds me of like good old fashioned type of filmmaking. And, you know, it's not a performance that has a lot of like big grandiose things. But to me, he is always compelling when he's on screen. You know, I think about uh, when he's in that guy's like kitchen and just telling him like this is what needs to happen. He sells it so incredibly well and the ending with tilda swinton just Mm -hmm. you know to me it's like you're so fucked oh yeah like it's just great (laughs) like movie star acting right there that you can just oh it's just so just so fun to watch i am shiva the god of death no um (laughs) (laughs) um yeah moving on uh from that do you guys remember like when up in the air came out um in the, on the festival circuit that year remember how like everybody and i mean like a lot of people were saying it was going to be our best picture winner oh yeah clooney was mm-hmm. going this was like before some people had seen there will be blood people were like clooney's gonna win actor it's gonna win screenplay it's gonna win best picture reitman's on a roll after juno you know what i mean so ah oh, man i just remember then it just kind of fizzled out and i and i remember the idea of all right, Inglorious Bastards is going to get Waltz. Precious is going to get Monique. You know, Heart Locker is going to win uh, Picture, probably. Avatar is going to win Tex. Up in here is going to get adapted screenplay. You know, Every, everybody's oh, going to get something. Uh, <laughs> I'm still upset. <laughs> I'm still upset. That was absurd. I mean, like, to this day, that's one of those, like, questionable wins where I, I, I go, yeah, Precious is good. It, it, to me, it's like the ex machina visual effects thing. It's like, it was so out of left field. Yeah. That film did not win Best Adapted Screenplay. And also, um, you know, like, that's a prime example. If you've read the book, this is a film that really improves on the source material. Like, the the two women weren't in the book. And, like, that makes a huge difference. Um, that is a prime example of doing a good job at adapting source material to make it work better for the screen. And, you know, like, the, it, it is a prime example of what should win. Also, apparently the writer, the co-writer of that, um, after he he lost, he accidentally got, like, locked out of uh, the auditorium for, like, the most of the rest of the show. Like, it, it was just, like, a horrible night for him if That's you ever get in with him. Yeah. Oh, God. 
All right, well, everybody, uh, which is your favorite Jason Reitman-directed film? Head over to the polls page on nextbestpicture.com. Let us know what you think of that. We have one more poll to discuss, um, and I'm going to reveal uh, the winner of the uh, of the last one that we posted. So we posted this last month. Uh, we are starting to do Patreon reviews uh, for our subscribers on there. We call the segment Last Best Picture. It is where we go back and we do podcast reviews of films that either were nominated or won Best Picture at the Oscars. What I do is I take all 500 plus films, I throw them in a randomizer, whatever the first top 10 are that pop out. We put that in a, po- in a poll. You guys vote. And then whatever wins, that's the film that we will review. So, for last month, uh, the top 10 films were Alexander's Ragtime Band, Coming Home, The Killing Fields, A Letter to Three Wives, Mr. Roberts, One Flew Over to Cuckoo's Nest, The Piano, Platoon, The Talk of the Town, and Viva Villa. (sighs) Crushing the poll with 50% of the votes. The winner is going to be One Flew Over to Cuckoo's Nest. So... The late Milos Foreman's Best Picture winning film. That is a film that we will be reviewing here on nextbestpicture.com for our Patreon subscribers. Which, for $1 a month, you too will be able to get that episode when it does release. Looking forward, though, to uh, our next uh, batch of choices for Last Best Picture. We have another 10 here, everybody. Going in alphabetical order. The top 10 films, uh, which could potentially be our next review on Last Best Picture, are Babel, Aaron Brockovich, Juno, which we were just talking about, about Lawrence of Arabia, Moulin Rouge, My Left Foot, Nebraska, One Foot in Heaven, The Sound of Music, that might bring Michael Schwartz out of retirement. <laughs> and Three Smart Girls. Those are the 10 films which are listed for Last Best Picture for the month of May 2018. Will, do you have any kind of a preference there? You know, if I think the one where there is most just rich filmmaking detail to talk about, it's got to be Lawrence of Arabia, right? Uh, probably. I would say so. Like that, I mean, there's so much to unpack on that in that film, and that that remains honestly an all-time favorite of mine. Like it, it, that is how you do an epic. Yeah, uh, Danilo, Josh Parham, what would you guys vote for of those ten? Mm. What were the first? Co- Can you recite like the first three again? Yeah, uh, Babel, Aaron Brockovich, Juno, Mm-mm. Lawrence of Arabia, Moulin Rouge. I'll just say them all. My left foot, Nebraska. One Foot in Heaven, The Sound of Music, and Three Smart Girls. I, I had, What is One Foot in Heaven? That is a 1941 film uh, starring... Hold on, I have uh, my description here somewhere. Um, I just haven't posted it yet on the website. I'm saving that for a post later on this week. Uh, bah, 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 bah. It is with Frederick March, uh, Martha Scott, wow. Jean Lockhart, Elizabeth Frazier... <clears throat> It was directed by Irving Rapper, um, who also directed The Brave One. Oh, the Dalton Trumbo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of this film. Uh, Me neither. So everybody vote for this one and force us to watch something new. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's interesting because like, my own personal preference would be actually uh, Babel, uh, only because I have not watched that since 
you know, 2006. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I would I would love an excuse to uh, revisit that, especially considering uh, the other films we've seen Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu put out since. I think it would be very interesting to revisit that one. So that would get my vote. Yeah, uh, Babel was also the one that I was thinking about, too. Um, although I am not a big fan of Iñárritu, I think it would be interesting to just revisit that movie and see how well it holds up and just kind of discuss what is good and maybe what's like really bad about it. <laughs> I know, I know Will loves discussing movies uh, that, you know, there are some questionable elements to it because it gives us yeah. a chew on. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that will be up this week. Um, I have the um, 10 here, um, although that won't be going up today. I think that will be going up on Tuesday as of May 1st and voting will continue until the end of the month. So putting that out there for everybody that is interested at this time, let's move over to a trailer. Uh, let's talk about, uh, what is this film called again? Uh, it's called Crazy Rich Asians. So this movie is something that we've been hearing a lot about over the last couple of months. Um, I know Will Mavity had brought it, to our co- uh, brought it to our conversation here on the podcast a number of times. And this is being directed by John M. Chu. It stars an all-Asian cast, Constance Wu, uh, Gemma Chan, Lisa Liu, uh, Michelle Yale. So, I mean, this is um, a film that's getting a lot of buzz right now, and we want to have a chance to talk about it here. So let's check out the trailer and let's uh, give it a whirl, shall we? Right. We've been dating for over a year now, and I think it's about time people met my beautiful girlfriend. What about us taking an adventure east? Like Queens? Singapore. Colin's wedding. Don't you want to be my family? I hardly know anything about them. Every time I bring them up, it changes the subject. Maybe his parents are poor and he has to send them money. Let's take a bag and get you checked into first class. Nick, we can't afford this. So your family is rich? We're comfortable. That is exactly what a super rich person would say. I want money. 1.2 million. That's what I want. The Nick you're dating is Nick Young? Yeah, you guys know them or something? Hells yeah. They're just the biggest developers in all of Singapore. That's what I Damn, Rachel. It's like the Asian bachelor. These people aren't just rich. They're crazy rich. Now you really should have told me that you're like the Prince William of Asia. That's ridiculous. Much more of a Harry. <laughs> Mom, this is Rachel Chu. She just thinks you're some like unrefined banana. No, no, no. Uh, those are your fingers. Yellow on the outside or white on the inside. Do something crazy! I chose to raise a family. For me, it was a privilege. But for you, you may think it's old-fashioned. Don't you want Nick to be happy? I know you're not what Nick needs. She's like trying to play a game of chicken with me, thinking I'm gonna swerve like a chicken. But you can't swerve. You gonna roll up and be like, bok, bok, bitch. Okay, maybe like not as aggressive. I met a girl, I fell in love, and I want to marry her. You're Nicholas Young. You're untouchable. But Rachel's not. Have you prepped Rachel to face the wolves? You know I'm back, like I never left. I really admire you. It takes guts. Coming all the way over here, facing Nick's family. Another day, another breath. I know this much. You will never be enough. Yo, it's about time someone stood up to Auntie Eleanor. Well, you, not me. Oh, God. She can't know I was over here. I feel glorious, glorious. Got a chance to stop I was born for this, born for this. Ever since I can remember, my family has been my whole life. Rachel, Rachel. If Nick chose me, he would lose his family. And if he chose his family, he might spend the rest of his life resenting you. You nasty. You got a nasty. You got nastier. Okay, so after seeing the trailer here, uh, Will, 
is Crazy Rich Asians uh, meeting your expectations as to what kind of a film it looks like it's being marketed as? Um, obviously, it looks like it's definitely probably going to be, in my opinion, it looks like it's one of those crowd-pleasing box office hit films. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun, flashy summer film. Uh, I think it's incredibly cool to have an all-Asian cast. Uh, I think it'll do well financially. I know some people, like the folks at Awards Watch, had it as like one of their top ten adapted screenplay contenders. And I, I, you know, I already had my doubts just knowing that John M. Chu is best known as like the guy behind Step Up 3D, Justin Bieber, the 3D concert experience, and I think Now You See Me Too. And then the writer is oh, and Gia Joe Retaliation. The writer is just done. I think Now You See Me Too and the proposal so you know like i I don't think it's going to be an oscar contender in any capacity and this trailer you don't think it could you know my big fat greek wedding itself into the conversation maybe i mean this just looks like a fun movie i mean i i don't see it being any kind of screenplay contender uh, in particularly after the trailer. That being said, I think it'll do very well uh, financially, and it, it it looks it looks entertaining. Um, I think it's it's a perfectly suited summer studio film, but I, I don't think it's going anywhere near a screenplay race. I think Wedding was a fluke. Okay, alrighty, uh, Josh. Yeah, I think it looks fine. Uh, I'm very happy that it exists, uh, and I will go see it to support it. But you know, it, it looks like very light entertainment and uh, to be honest it, it the initial premise doesn't and it you know just doesn't grab me that much but it does look fun it looks like it'll go for a particular kind of audience that is looking to just be entertained by light studio fare uh i agree i don't think it's an oscar contender um you know maybe if we have an adapted screenplay race this year like last year maybe but I think that would be a, a long shot based on the trailer. Okay. Danilo? Um, I'm going to agree with what everybody's saying here. I think it looks entertaining. It looks incredibly light. Um, it's just going to kind of be enjoyable, you know, romantic comedy kind of deal. I don't expect any uh, – I don't expect much Oscar predictions for this thing. Um, and I feel like the while the, the all-Asian cast, that's great. I think, is, I think it's also a big selling kind of – a big selling part of the movie. Um, I think if this was not that, um, that the film wouldn't be getting as much attention. And while that's great, I, d- I don't think it uh, necessarily is complimentary of the film's like a claim that it's going to be getting or anything like that. So I think it'll just kind of come and do well financially and kind of go. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I do think it's important because a- after seeing um, – Black Panther performed the way it did earlier this year and now having another opportunity uh, with Crazy Rich Asians uh, to prove to Hollywood studio executives that um, underrepresented uh, people within the film industry uh, can and will support, uh, you know, these these movies Um, that to me, I hope is going to continue with this and hopefully then also um, provide some more momentum to this shift that we're seeing uh then hopefully we can get more types of diversity within casting because as a lot of people always say it's not so much that there's a lack of actors or people uh that can work behind the scenes on these types of films it's that the opportunities are just not given yeah 
And hopefully this continues that trend can break down some more doors and allow for future opportunities. Um, so oh, it's got it's got a burden of expectation on it, and I know that that's bad because it's like we're putting the weight of the weight of the world on this film's shoulders to do well. Sure, but um, I, I I hope that it does. Yeah, I, I think, think I hope it's important that it does. You know, because that is it's it's interesting uh, Hollywood. You, has really had a thing about being terrified to open a film with predominantly Asian stars, you know, like of all the people of color that, that is the one they have strayed away from the most. So I think this is such an important film on that front. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we're already seeing also earlier this year too, not just with black Panther, but I do want to give a shout out also to love Simon as a studio commercially released film that, actually had gay themes to it you know and it yeah. wasn't some independent uh drama or anything like that that was released in two theaters it was actually a widely released film so to see um little tiny wins like that uh starting to happen i i do hope that it just continues like i said that momentum and we can get um more diversity in storytelling ultimately Definitely. because isn't that the number one complaint that we always have all the time is that it seems like we're getting a rehash of the same stories over and over and over again. Well, maybe that's because of who's telling them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think with this, I mean, the fact that this movie comes out with an all Asian cast is is kind of a win in of itself. Like you said, like it's it'd be much more interesting than if this was you know a rom com with a bunch of white actors again. It's like we've seen that before. So it is it is you know it, it adds an interesting component to it. Uh, which is going to lead me over to our next question here. So we're only a few months into the year, right? We're in January, February, March, April, so uh, four months down. And uh, we got a question here from Brent Leone. That's at Faker Brent Leone on Twitter asking us, what do you consider the definitive film of each month this year? Whatever your deficient, uh, a definition of definitive may be. So I was thinking about this, right? Uh, January, February, March, and April. And... I was taking a look at, you know, definitively like which film would be like even the best of that month or just what was the, you know, center of the conversation for that month. And I mean, just looking at the month of January right off the bat, I was like, oh, boy, I was like, that was that was not a good month. Um, no, it was not like my January was all centered around uh, Sundance. So looking over like the major releases, uh Dear God, it's either Twelve Strong or The Commuter. Oh God! Come on, no, no love for Den of Thieves. <laughs> no. Oh good, oh my Lord, no. <laughs> um, yeah. Moving over to February now. Um, obviously Black Panther. Yeah, I oh, mean absolutely, definitely. Although shout out to Annihilation, which is still one of my favorite films this year. And then March. March is a little tricky because there was a lot of stuff in March. Isle of Dogs. You know, I, I think this film might have spawned the most conversation, uh, potentially. A Wrinkle in Time? Yeah, man, I mean... I mean, I know it wasn't the best film of the, of that month, but in just I in feel terms like it spawned of... conversation like leading up to it, but once the film actually came out... I mean, people, there there was a debate about what's more important, you know, like, is the story good or is it, you know, like, 
do we evaluate it for the film steps forward and in inclusion? Um, yeah. But I also yeah. I also think we had that you know like a wrinkle in time spawned conversation for a, a week or so and then kind of disappeared. Okay, so then a better uh, all right, so maybe a better choice then for March would be Ready Player One. Re- yeah, uh, yeah, probably. That, yeah, because people are still kind of talking about that. I mean, a potential Oscar contender for visual effects, you know. And I think it turned out to be the stronger movie. While while A Wrinkle in Time had more hype going in, I'm not saying it's it's a masterpiece or anything, but I think it turned out to be better than uh, Wrinkle in Time. And then for the month of April, I mean, I could make an argument for A Quiet Place. Don't get me wrong, I I could try, but Ooh, I mean, yeah. April will be defined by Avengers: Infinity War yeah. one way or another, no matter how you yeah. look at it. Poor Quiet Place. Yeah, poor quiet yeah. place. <laughs> what do you think is going to come to define May? I mean, we have Deadpool 2, we have Solo, a Star Wars story. I feel like Solo is going to make the bigger impression, good or bad. I'm going to lean towards bad, but I feel like Solo is going to be more of the talking point for people as we get into May. I think people are going to want to, they're going to want to fight for whether, you know, for why it's terrible or for why it's actually amazing. Um, I think everyone's just going to kind of go and watch Deadpool and be like, that was a good time, but... Yeah. Who knows? All right. Uh, let's move over now to one final fan question, and then we'll move on to our second trailer. And then news, and we are done. So this one comes from Kevin Clawwitter on Twitter, at Kevin Clawwitter. And it's a part two, part one, part two question. Um, part one. Don't you think it's ironic that after one of the most wacky out there Oscar seasons in terms of genre subject matter, lots of early predictions for next year have gone right back to rather conventional picks, stuff like First Man, Backseat, Boy Erased, Mary Queen of Scots. That being said, this is part two, can you think of any out there movies in terms of genre right now, released or upcoming, that you could see making an impact, or are those movies that you think have to be discovered as the year goes on? Well, let's be honest, a lot of people are predicting Widows for Best Picture, and that's just like I am. a straight up... It's yeah, a crime it, film. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, well, it's like a straight up thriller, yeah, you yeah. know, like it's... Uh, so that isn't necessarily typical Oscar, John. Uh, they we're just predicting it because of the caliber of people behind the scenes and its cast. But like you know, The Departed was something of an exception, um, as was No Country for Old Men. That kind of you know, like crime thrillers are not Ampus's favorite genre. So I think that would be kind of a a typical winner still if it were to win uh well you and i have both seen this film what about eighth grade oh i don't think it could win um i really really like it the more i think about it, the more it's my favorite film i saw at sundance and i do think it's gonna end up making a lot of money because i think audiences who are in like middle and high school are really gonna turn out for that film because it's just so relatable but no way in hell does it win and i still think it will face an uphill battle even getting nominated for best picture um I'm going to ask you guys, I've seen the film, so I already kind of know, but I'm going to ask you based upon um, the marketing and what you have seen so far, what are your thoughts on Hereditary? Uh, I am I am avoiding the trailers for Hereditary. <laughs> so. Oh, okay. So maybe you're playing it a little smart there, I, I would say, um, because I do have this weird feeling that Hereditary could be the next coming of The Exorcist in terms of award season fare. I asked you a couple weeks ago if you thought it could get nominated for Best Picture, and you said no. 
Um, I'm starting to come around to it only because um, the reviews are holding strong still at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes um, with a very, very, very high average score rating too, might I add. Um, And also, Tony Collette, they are going for it um, in terms of a Best Actress nomination. They are centering the marketing around her. And I do feel that if enough people see it, it could bring some residual love into other categories um as people check it out more i don't know what necessarily because i know it's not going to get like cinematography but i could potentially see is it a sound contender yeah i could see sound happening um there is a world where you know maybe editing maybe but um maybe the screenplay maybe I, i you know you guys need to definitely check it out when it comes out and it's coming out soon June 8th, it's right around the corner. So you guys will uh, know then. But um, just as far as like acting is concerned, I, mm-hmm. I have not seen anything so far this year, um, Sundance included, that is as much of a force as Tony Collette is in that movie. I mean, it, 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 it's on another level, her performance. So I'm super mm. pumped to see that scene. That's so bad. Yeah, I'm looking and forward I to it. I think it's going to make a shit ton of money, too. Oh, I, I definitely think so. I don't think this is going to be um, a disappointing horror film from A24, like The Witch, where It Comes at Night was, for the casual moviegoer. You know I what think, I, mean? I, I honestly think that we're this is going to be the year where A24 has their first uh, film break 100 million. I think either that or Eighth Grade is going to do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, too. I definitely agree. Okay. Uh, Let's move on now to our next trailer here. Uh, This trailer is from Gus Van Sant, who has given us films such as Goodwill Hunting and Milk over the years. It is starring Joaquin Phoenix, Jonah Hill, and Rooney Mara. It is called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Let's check this one out. The last day that I walked, I woke up without a hangover. Ah, pretty groovy day, huh? I knew I had an hour or so of grace before the... Withdrawal symptoms set in. And that was it. Keep them coming, bro. Dexter had mistaken the light pole for an exit and slammed into it at 90 miles an hour. How are things going here, John? I can't move. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's going too well. People say we got it made. I'm Donnie and I'm an alcoholic. My day has been pretty good until I came in here and saw all of you. <laughs> Maybe you were weakened so you could become strong. Something really profound just happened to me, man. I don't expect you. That's really funny, it's you. I draw these for a living, but people get mad at me because the subject matter. It's offensive. We all have led in our non-sober periods somewhat chaotic lives. But then again, you're not to blame. You're a very special person. You're such a pain in the ass, John. You're right on schedule, sweetheart, and I'm glad you're here. <laughs> hey, it's a fellow artist. Check this out. Well, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want you to look at... They published my cartoon, you... Okay, so uh, this is also another film that I did see at Sundance. The review is up on nextbestpicture.com. Um, 
Want to get your thoughts, though, everybody. What do you, what do you guys think about uh, what you're seeing so far from this? Um, well, is it, do, you, do you think this is a crash and burn Oscar play, basically? Well, the problem is that Gus Van Sant is so hit or miss when it comes to his movies. You know, sometimes he can knock it right out of the park and be really solid, and then other times it's like it's promised land, you know? And I, you know, I, I just can't tell from this trailer whether we're going to get something that really connects in the way that it can take off and be this huge hit with critics and audiences and, and really go the distance with anything kind of awards related. You know, I'm sure that it'll be good. Those actors I trust and, you know, it seems like it's a solid movie, but I I just don't know if it's going to be this like great movie that people are going to feel the need to rush out and see and, and be this thing that really takes off. I, I'm not sure about that, especially with Gus Van Sant. Well, I will say this personally. Um, I don't think it's as good as Milk or Good Will Hunting, but I do think it is better than Promised Land. And I would I would put it not in the same tier as Good, as good Will Hunting and Milk, but just like that, whatever that tier is right below it. Finding Forest or that tier. <laughs> I, I suppose so, yeah. Um, it does lead me to wonder, though, um, which one of Joaquin's performances this year, either You Were Never Really Here or Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, is he going to get more traction for, maybe amongst critics groups? I would think that'd be You Were Never Really Here. I, I agree with that. I think that one's definitely got the momentum going. That one that one has had a buzz for so long heading in, and now that it's kind of hitting wide release, I feel like it's going to continue. Um, this one, I'm not sure, kind of to echo um, what everybody's saying. I don't know. I feel like if it's not Joaquin and it's a Gus Van Zandt film with another actor in that role, I feel like it's not really drawing the buzz that it is. And I don't know if it'll, I don't know if it'll be enough to sustain it. Um, Gus Van Zandt, like you said, super inconsistent, and. Um, I don't know. It's kind of. A, I feel like it's it's a slight variation on a story we've seen in several other instances. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, I know there was a lot of criticism uh, when the film first premiered about why wouldn't you cast uh, why wouldn't you cast a disabled actor? Yeah. In the role and Gus Van Sant's uh, retort to that is, well, there are flashbacks in the movie where we see him able and walking, and we didn't want to cast two different actors. Like, how do we get around that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Which so, is a fair point. Which is a very fair point. Um, I will say that I do think it is one of Joaquin Phoenix's best performances I've ever seen him give, just in terms of um, what he puts himself through both emotionally and physically, because the emotional component is he is an alcoholic. And on top of that, due to his alcoholism, he gets into this car crash that does paralyze him. So it's like, it's not, it's not, um, uh, it's not a paralyzed, you know, uh, I, I, I know it's not the right word for it. I can't think of the word right now. Type of movie. Um, it's not like stronger or, um, uh, you know, something like that. Th- this mm-hmm. is definitely an uh, an alcoholism uh, film. Okay. It, it's it's leaving Las Vegas in that regard, if that makes sense to people. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, it's definitely one of those movies that I think people are going to definitely label it as, oh, this is Joaquin doing Oscar bait. Um, <laughs> and I do believe that maybe like something last year with breathe with Andrew Garfield. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be, is this going to get traction or is this not going to get traction? Uh, and then it's going to kind of sizzle out. That's my guess. I feel like that's what happened with stronger last year. And then I completely Don't forgot about breathe. <laughs> completely forgot about stronger breathe. Deserved so much more than what it got. 
Oh my god, Jake. Poor Jake. I know. Yeah. It's a weird instance, right? Because uh, you're saying with this film, it's not necessarily Joaquin doing Oscar bait, but people think it is, and that's kind of the same thing that people threw on Stronger last year. So now it's becoming like a weird stigma. Yeah. That like if they take on roles like this, it's like ah, uh, we're just gonna ignore that. They're just trying to they're just trying to win their Oscar. Well, it just goes to show you how much perception can shape something, even if it's true or not true. Yeah. Alrighty, Will. Let's move on to the news of the week, man. Take us home. What do you have? All right, so we had CinemaCon this week. Has everybody been following some of the the big takeaways, things that had their first footage? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, so uh, spare me a little bit of talking and tell me what some of the inter- most interesting things you heard about at CinemaCon, CinemaCon were. First Man is going to fuck shit up this <laughs> award season. I don't think it's going to win, but I think it's going to it's going to be one of those. I think it's going to be a lot like La La Land, honestly, where it, it does really well. In a lot of the texts, I think Gosling could even take actor. I've heard it's like the right stuff. Yeah. In many ways. That's what I've been hearing. Multiple set, pe- big set pieces, surprisingly VFX heavy. They said it shows that um, Chazelle is probably going to end up directing a blockbuster before long after this. I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. The the first man footage sounds dope. Yeah. Uh, Shane Black's Predator. We got some word on that. Oh, that one didn't really interest me as much. That's fair. Uh, what about Halloween? The uh, Halloween footage was supposed to be very good. The Happy Time Murders apparently is hilarious. You know, that's the one where Jim Henson's son is puppeteering like a R-rated puppet style movie. Um, with Melissa McCarthy as a human. It's kind of like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but with puppets instead of animated characters interacting with the real world, and it's like a hard R. Oh, okay, so it's Avenue Q. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) yes. Um, But it it sounds really entertaining. You know, you mentioned uh, Widows earlier. Uh, We did get uh, some of the first footage of that, so we know a little bit more about the direction that's going, and I hear that... Viola Davis is said to be giving a very fierce performance. We had Boy Erased, which um, the reactions to the footage they showed of it were apparently pretty emotional. But, you know, we've heard some very bad things about test screenings on that. And we just saw this week they're clearly doing reshoots on the film because they're so concerned about it. So even though it was considered done. I'm really like annoyed that my tweet of that uh, gained traction. And instead of test screenings, I accidentally wrote rest screenings. I know. Jason <laughs> calls you out on that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God damn it, Twitter. Where's your edit button when I need it? <laughs> the, uh, the next Cloverfield film is not J.J. Abrams' Overlord. That World War II thriller is apparently a standalone sci-fi film. Um Unrelated to the Cloverfield franchise, it is also described as batshit insane in a hard R. So J.J. Abrams is giving us huh. just a uh, a completely standalone, gruesome sci-fi World War II movie this year. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, yeah. That sounds I'm, I'm, I'm more interested now that it's kind of now chopped off from the rest of the Cloverfield universe. It makes it slightly more appealing. Um, okay, so speaking of sci-fis, Star Trek... We, uh, they've said they're working on two Star Trek films. One of them is still the Tarantino one, but the more, uh, the next one we're going to get is just a regular Star Trek four. It has the series first ever female director. Uh, we know her, she's directed episodes of orange is the new black 
in some British TV shows. You know, she, she's a very accomplished TV director. I believe this is her first feature effort. Well, that's really exciting. And I mean, also too, uh, a, a big sigh of relief uh, on my part because I was really worried after the untimely death of uh, Anton Yelkin that that franchise was going to die. And I, lo- I love that cast. I, I truly, truly enjoy all three of those films, less so as each one comes out a bit more. Um, you know, I'd rate the first one uh, an eight, the next one a seven, and the next one a six. But it, 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 it's still um, that the, the charm and charisma of that cast really, really helps to pull those movies through. And I'm just happy that it's still continuing. Well, and speaking of charming and charismatic people, uh, this is something that makes a lot of people wonder if since Chris Hemsworth's contract is up in, in with Marvel after the next movie, if um, that's a reason they're going to kill him off for good in the next Avengers film, because apparently Chris Hemsworth is going to be making an appearance in this one more than an appearance. He's going to be a co-lead in this one. You know, we saw him uh, almost 10 years ago in the opening scene of the first Star Trek reboot. And apparently he's coming back now and it's going to be like a Star Trek Generations type deal where he is a co-lead alongside Chris Pine. So it's a father-son film. That's Mm. what this one's going to be. Interesting. I like that. So he's coming back to the franchise. Any other big CinemaCon takeaways people want to discuss? I think for me, the one that jumped out at me the most was the – uh, footage for the Suspiria remake that yes. uh, Luca Guadagnino was doing. Mm-hmm. I think because I wasn't really that into the idea of this remake, it it just sounded like, why do we need this? But hearing what that footage was and just the reaction to it, out of everything that I heard about, that is the one that ramped up my anticipation more than anything else that they showed. Did you guys see my uh, little tweet I put out on Twitter where they showed like the first uh, on-set photos from the movie and I was like, what is Mother for 200? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like the vibe I'm getting from this movie is that this is going to be um, the, the next Mother in terms of just really, really disturbing uh, stuff on screen that's going to divide audiences, I feel like. But in like an artistic sort of way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. That movie just sounds like it's not going to make any money, but will be very interesting to see. Oh, it'll get my money. That's for sure. <laughs> as long as Movie Pass doesn't continue to fuck me over. <laughs> oh, guys, a glass, glass. Apparently, the footage is dope. Oh yeah, I'm just amazed. Oh wow, everyone's all excited about an M Night Shyamalan movie after him being punchline for a, de- a punchline for a decade. All it took was like split and then everyone's back on board <laughs> well i mean let's let's face it unbreakable is other than the sixth sense possibly his best film you know so you combine that with split which most people were on board with and i mean also too it's like almost like his own little like little mini mcu <laughs> you know it's very weird the shyamalan verse yeah right yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> like I, I i'm surprised that uh tarantino has not like tried harder to you know get more gags in his movies in terms of shared universe you know what i mean oh yeah Um, yeah. because he kind of did that a little bit here here and there too so uh, it's funny just how certain filmmakers uh attempt to do this on a much smaller scale are you guys expecting glass to be good yeah i am actually okay did you like split i did I, i i liked it i didn't i didn't love it i didn't love it either I thought it was okay. Uh, I just I don't I don't want Glass to be. 
I don't want Glass to, to put Shyamalan back where he's been and in the process kind of take a little bit away from the first Unbreakable. It's a little bit concerned there about that. Um, I'm curious. I'm definitely curious to see what comes of this. All right. Will, anything else? Yeah. So I'm going to take that Rob Ford movie out of my makeup and hairstyling predictions because the makeup <laughs> on Damian Lewis is just... Whew, yeah, that was something else. Burn victim. It looks like Mason Verger in uh, Hannibal. Yeah, I oh, posted God. that comparison photo. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my Lord. It was pretty bad. So this is big. The Academy has announced their score and song categories. They're now going to have short lists of 15 films and then subsequent bake-offs, just like they do for makeup and visual effects. Um, so now, instead of just the Academy Music Branch members writing down names and just thinking off the top of their head, oh, I like that John Williams. What did he do this year? And putting that down, they're going to be in a room for three hours, and they're going to see presentations on 15 films that have been chosen by the branch, um, and have to actually listen to the scores. So uh, I think also I'm definitely going to that next year, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I can't wait for you to go to that. I'm really excited. Obviously, we'll run into things where just like with visual effects and makeup, people are going to complain about things that miss the shortlist, and so there's a whole new level to consider that. But I can't imagine that we won't get more interesting nominees once this happens. Like. Yeah, I definitely think this is a positive step in the right direction as far as giving more scores that normally wouldn't get consideration that consideration. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, I, I do think it's the right move and an exciting one, too, like you said. Um, okay, so other news. You're getting a great cast from Mondo Iannucci's uh, David Copperfield film. It's like Dev Patel, Tilda Swinton. God, who are some of the other names? It's an insane uh, Ben Weishaw. Um, who's the next one? It's a big cast. Anyway, suffice it to say, it's an excellent cast. Uh, other British period pieces, Colin Firth and Julie Walters are going to be leading a Secret Garden remake. Ooh. So, mm. yeah, that could be fun. Um, Michelle Hausnavicius, that will continue to be one of the... You know, one of those weird best director winners, I think, down the line that we look at just in the kind of same way we look at a winner like John G. Alvidson back in the day. Um, because he hasn't, re I mean, he's done f a couple movies, but they haven't, they've just kind of come and gone. I, they barely even got releases in the US. But he's announced his next film is going to be a fantasy film, a children's fantasy film. That stars the Intouchables' Omar Sy and the artist Belmy Spejo. So, who knows? I don't really, I don't really care. Um, he hasn't done <laughs> anything that's gotten me excited at all. You know, to your point, it's 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 a weird win in hindsight. It's it's a weird win because 2011 is not necessarily a weak year. It's just that the films that the Academy decided to nominate that year were weak. They weren't that special? Yeah. Yeah, I would call it a weak year. Okay, that's fair. Um, Amy Adams will be the lead in Joe Wright's next film. He just directed Gary Oldman to an Oscar, and he's working off a script from Tracy Letts based nice. on the best-selling book, Woman in the Window. So I am certainly intrigued. Very cool. Uh, that's a lot of pedigree together. And if Amy doesn't win for backseat, and I think there's a good chance she will, who knows, maybe this could be your Oscar play. Oh, please. 
Annapurna and Plan B are making a spotlight-style film about the New York Times breaking the Weinstein story. Yeah. Um, mm. I'm still of the belief that this is too soon, because, and not because of the subject matter, necessarily. It's just we haven't seen the ramifications of the story yes. yet. Yeah. If you, if you wait a little longer, uh, there could be new, as, as the dude would say, new shit has been brought to light, man. Um and we could potentially get a more compelling story out of it. I, th- I mean, I think there's a good chance at the end of all this, Weinstein goes to prison. And yeah. if that is the case, then that is something that would need to be in the film. And presumably the film is already being scripted. That's a much more satisfying climax if the bad guy goes to prison. Yeah, I mean, because don't you actually want to, I don't know, I feel like movies nowadays, they usually, because that, that could be its own movie in a sense. Um, I feel like that's like something that's like a title card at the end. In in so-and-so year, Harvey Weinstein was sentenced to, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. where, he, where he remains to this day. And then that's like, you know, directed by blah, 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 you know, at that point. The reason that um, OJ, if People vs. OJ Simpson was so compelling is we had had... 20 years to reflect upon how these events impacted American culture. Yeah. It, it just seems a little exploitative to just go ahead and do it right now. I feel like the, it just kind of seems like it's an effort because it's, it's fresh in the mind. They want to make it into a movie. I, I, I think it needs time to marinate in the culture. I think it's a, absolutely a movie worth making, but do it when we see where the story is going to go. Yeah. Now, I will say, I, I, I would be very intrigued to see who is cast to play Harvey Weinstein. Um, uh, I'll, I'll put a name out there. Um, uh, oh, crap. I can't remember his name. Uh, Full Metal Jacket. Uh, yeah, Nofrio. So yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to play Harvey Weinstein about 10 years ago in a film based on um, Down and Dirty Pictures. And uh, it was all about the indie film boom of the 90s and it portrayed Harvey Weinstein very negatively and um, the film was getting ready to go into production. Weinstein used all his power to make sure the film never saw the light of day. So he was previously cast as Weinstein before. Mm. So I guess, you know, maybe this this could be the role where he does reappear. He would He would knock it out of the park, I would think. Yeah. Although I actually think it would be better if there wasn't an actual like actor playing Harvey Weinstein because mm. I, I don't know I think oh, it would we be, don't see him yeah just to have him because make the movie just be about this story and and that research part and I don't know I almost feel like don't even show him like he's such a monster just keep him in the shadows and make the story about you know bring light to this issue but we don't really need to see Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, an unknown actor would not be bringing any baggage to the role, and also, too, maybe that wouldn't be so much of a uh, focal point in people's write-ups of the film if they were trying to take it down, thus hurting whoever this actor is, their career so much. Um, it was like um, it was like when I saw uh, earlier this year, there was that movie about, um, uh, what was it called? It was called My Friend Dahmer. The Jeffrey Dahmer, oh, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey movie. Dahmer one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they had um, uh, who played him again? This guy uh, Ross Lynch, who I-, I had never really heard of him before. I know he's in some stuff, and he's also uh, like a singer. Um, but I mean, he's not what I would call big 
You know what I mean? So if they were to find someone like that, um, I, 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 Parm, I think I'm leaning with you on this. I think that would be better. Yeah. And um, on that note, there's plenty more CinemaCon news, but I, there's honestly too much to cover today. So go look at some of the recaps. Uh, you'll you'll hear little interesting things like the Bumble movie, supposedly decent looking. Um, and uh, the Paramount CEO was throwing some massive shade. They're like, yeah, this is uh, bringing back the, uh, the heart that the franchise used to have and stuff. So he's definitely throwing some shade about the most recent Michael Bay editions. Um, be interesting to see how that turns out. But yeah, it's uh, that's pretty much it on the news front. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Danilo, first time on the show. Chance for you to plug your stuff here. Tell everyone where they can find you on the internet, my friend. Uh, you can uh, find me at Danilo S. Castro, D-A-N-I-L-O-S, and then Castro, like the Cuban dictator. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Josh Parham, thank you so much for joining us once again, my friends as well. Where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And Will Mavity, as always. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 88 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FM, or on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We greatly appreciate your feedback and support. Subscribe to us on Patreon. $1 a month gets you in the door. There are other tiers beyond that, but you get some exclusive content. And as always, we shall see you all next time. Okay, um, so this is pretty big. The Academy has announced that for the score and song categories, uh, yeah, that's being edited out. (laughs) Coming up on Five Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.